Who the bloody hell's that? Should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello and welcome to chapter 121 of the Corona Diaries. Good morning. Good morning. I need to describe your backdrop because you're in Denmark, aren't you? I am. Um, you're in the annex, apparently. Anders says I'm muted. Can you hear me? I can hear you fine. Well, I don't know what's going on then. Yeah. Um, I'm in the annex. I am, yes. I'm, I'm not in the main house. No. I've, uh, I've, I've swum the pool. Staggered across the tennis courts. Um, Looking like Colin Firth <laughs> in Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> Romped through the wheat field. And now I'm in the annex. Right. Um, what's more what's the difference fo- between... Go on, go on. More of a folly, really. <laughs> what's, well, I'm sure it is, actually. It's sure it is. You've killed my next question, but it's fine. because the, the thought of you in your own little folly... There's a there's a plant wagging at the window in the wind, and every now and again I catch it, and it it looks like a murderer or something. And I keep, <laughs> so if I keep going, oh, <laughs> that's all it is. <laughs> They'll be asking the netter over, you know, as as, talk, as as your body's still got the outline on the ground. It's a malevolent going, plant. Did you see the plant escape, madam? No, no, <laughs> no. Um, what's the difference between uh, an annex and a wing? I would have thought a wing is attached right. to the building, whereas an annex is uh, separate, okay. in my mind. I don't know if that's the dictionary def, but... Um, in your head? Yes. <laughs> okay, and then one, so what's a folly then? A folly is um, an ornamental or interesting old usually stone object which is placed in the grounds of uh, of people who are insanely rich and have big grounds like stately homes or whatever right. uh, that that serves no purpose whatsoever other than you know to be there and look like a thing um they're usually called follies because they served no purpose but were a little bit of an indulgence. So they take the form of, of usually like a little, a little temple or a little archway or something like that that's just placed at the right point on the, in the vista of view from the main house. Right. So what's an old man's folly then? That's um, running off with a girl in a miniskirt. Right. Okay. I'm pleased we've got that sorted because I was, e- I was, for example, for exa- as an example, or buying a summer house in Denmark. That's also. <laughs> and you could join the two together by doing that for a, you know, a young lady in a short skirt if you wanted. <laughs> Can't get Lynetta to wear them anymore. Right. No, I'm in asking. Well, no, no. No, absolutely. I asked for a cup of tea this morning, didn't get one. No. No, she never asks me. I mean, I'd stick a miniskirt on in a heartbeat, but she doesn't ask. Let's leave that one. <laughs> let's let's just move. I had a thought today we'd go a little bit highbrow. That's not going to happen, is it? Oh, well, I'm prepared to have a go. I mean, if you, you've only got to ask. Yeah, right. God knows... I've I've always been an obedient kind of eager to please kind of soul. I, I think it might be a fault, but right. I am. Interesting description. Bearing in mind the word "gimp" is going to rear itself into today's diary reading, but we'll leave that one mm. just for the moment. Yeah, I've never been eager to get strap myself into one of those. I must confess. No, 
No, it's not been a high up on my list, uh, yeah. if I'm being honest. And it's certainly not, not something I'd put in a bucket. Um, I just wanted to remind everybody, before we started, for those of you who um, aren't purple, so don't subscribe uh, via Patreon uh, and um, get the extra bits of content and this, that and the other, you may not be aware, though we've mentioned it before, but you may not be aware that we do two extra pieces of content on a monthly basis. We do something called uh, the Guestbook Q&A, which is where people can go and leave questions at uh, on the stevehogoff.com website and uh, direct yourself to the guest book and leave a question and we go through those and we answer those questions. So you can leave a question and we will get to it and we will answer it and you will hear that answer and often with follow-ups and other bits of information and what have you. So that's one of the extra bits of content. And then we do something called an odds and sodcast, which basically is if you think this is drivel, um, then you ought to listen to an odds and sodcast um, because the, these are remarkably structured and have form compared with those. So if you were thinking to yourself, I like, you know, I like the Corona Diaries, but it's just a little bit too formal stiff. for me. It's a bit stiff. stiff. Yeah. Then, then the odds and sodcast is is for you. Now the reason I'm mentioning those things is because. Um, a great question came in on the guest book, which we're actually going to do today, and it might even last more than one episode. Mm-hmm. So occasionally something comes along that's so good. Um, it spawns a series. It spawns a series. It's nothing to do with the fact that I look at it and go, grief, I can string that out for a whole episode. Nothing to do with that at all. It's because uh. the questions are so good. Um, and in this case, it comes from a guy called Dan S., who's from Osterby in Germany. Um, and the only reason I'm mentioning the whole thing again about the guest book and what have you is that Dan's only just got to the Corona Diaries. Uh. So, And he's bulk listened. He's he's binged us. Is this Dan Swanner? Swanner? Oh, it might be. Because right, he is recent. He's gone mm. in the database recently. Hmm. Mm. So, so, so he's he's not only arrived at at TCD, he's binged us, which is a scary thing in of itself. But he's done it. <laughs> um, I can't imagine the state. Is in. I know, I know. <laughs> what must this be an accompaniment to? What could be so? He, he maybe he's just got. I don't know. Maybe he's just got eighteen months for something. Maybe that's yes. just it. Yeah, or or you know, time time in an institution. <laughs> Some description seems very pleasant in the written word, but anyway, well, he'll, he'll need it by now. But carry on, carry, carry on. on. Yeah. So it, so what we're going to do today is we're going to start with with some. Dan left five questions. We might not get to all of them, but three at least three of them merged together, and it made me realise that we've never spoken about um, the Dryland album. So we've talked a little bit about how we live, mm-hmm. but we've never done one of our album chats about Dryland. Mm-hmm. And that's right, isn't it? We've not done that, have we? Well, you expect me to remember yes. after 121 episodes. Um, I could have talked about anything by now, and I, uh, but I don't believe we have. No, and I'm happy to talk about it. Right. Um, in, in, in as much as I'll tell you what I can remember. Right. Well, the reason why I don't think we have is because Dan has just listened to a hundred and however many back to back, and he's asked these questions. Mm. So I reckon that's you see where I'm going with the logic there. Mm. You know, mm. he's listened to it all. I mean, we Crazy. don't regularly go back and listen to him again, do we? Not most days. <laughs> so no. we're going to start that today. I don't even listen to the people I'm with. No, no, this. no. It's a minor miracle the conversation's hanging too early. I'm not even convinced we're listening to each other. No, we are. Time. we are. Oh, are we? Oh, are we? Oh, right. we, we do have the habit of both talking at once. Yeah. Uh, well, especially you. Uh, but no, yes. Well, maybe I do as well. No, I often talk at once. That was harsh. No, no, no I, think it's, I think it's perfectly fair. Perfectly fair. Um. Anyway. Mm. Anyway, mm. so Dan starts. The How We Live Dryland album is on my top ten of all time. Which in of itself is a that's a huge thing. That's that a, is huge a huge thing. thing, yeah. My goodness. It's in Dan's top ten. For reference he or for context, seasons ends at number one. Wow. Okay. 
Um, I figured that you could do an episode or two about the Dryland album itself and dive in deep. I agree, Dan. I think we should. Uh, I have so many questions about the album and the time after it, and here are some of them. Please could you let me know more about the lyrics from the album, especially Girls from India, Games in Germany, The Rainbow Room, and Working Girl. So before we start, before we start, so that's a good place to start, but before we start, let's let's actually, let's row back a little bit and let's talk about um, the album and what's happening around the time. So for those who don't know, and I, I list myself in that group, um, two seconds on the potted history about how how we live came about, and then more importantly, the album. Who who's around? Where do you record? Who do you decide who's going to work on it? Who comes together to be part of that process? <clears throat> you want me to say all that? Yeah, you yeah. you interested? Well, um, I guess Colin and I were uh getting over Europeans splitting up still at that point and came as a terrible shock because as I've said before Europe the four guys in the Europeans were so convinced I mean so completely certain that we were going to be this huge band um it was a great live band they were all great players it was a couple of you know decent singers drummer was amazing guitarist was amazing um so we were, we just had that feeling that we were going to be huge. We looked great as well, you know, the, the, the you know, we, we looked the part, uh, everyone looked great, everybody dressed really groovily. We got, we were the entire package, it was all there. Um, and so when we weren't huge, it came as a dreadful shock. And when we eventually had to split up because it had just hit the skids, you know, and we couldn't get another record deal. Um, we'd run out of money. In fact, we were running quite an impressive, you know, tens of thousands of pounds overdrawn at the bank and everything at this point. Um, there was nowhere else to go. And then our manager came to to us, uh, Mark Thompson. Well, he came to me discreetly and he said, look, I have to tell you, I've been going around the music business shopping for a deal for the band. Nobody wants to sign the band, but there's a guy called Peter Carpin at Portrait Records who wants to sign you as a solo artist. Um, you know, and, and as your manager, I would advise you to do it because there's nothing, there, are, there is no option, but obviously it's going to mean walking out on the band. So that was a massive moral dilemma. Um... But in another way, it was a no-brainer because it was either that or just rag it in altogether. The, the, the band had kind of had it at that point. At least that's how it was presented to me. Um, Jeff has always maintained that Siren Records in America would have been interested in, in signing the band uh, and that Mark hadn't really communicated that to us and I don't know if that's true or not um, but the way it was presented to me I walked as I've said before and uh, I'd, I'd been writing um, I'd been writing some stuff with Colin the guitar player the Europeans the two of us had, had formed a little bit of a songwriting team. It tended to work that way. Jeff, Jeff and Fergus tended to write together and Colin and I tended to write together. So it made a lot of sense and it also eased my conscience a lot uh, to, to say to Colin, well, you know, how would you feel about, you know, eloping with me and we'll... We'll see if, and so we asked the record label if they would sign both of us and as a duo rather than just me. And so they did. And Mark also at that point, he may still manage David Lord, the producer. Now, David Lord had just done the third Peter Gabriel album. I think it was the third one, or was it the fourth one? With. Uh, Shock the Monkey and Rhythm of the Heat on it and wolf, Wallflower and everything. Um, and so David Lord produced it 
And David had, had, had also uh, co-produced Recurring Dreams, the, the last Europeans album. So we all already had a working relationship with him. He owned a studio down in Bath called Crescent Studios. So Colin and I toddled off down to uh, down to Bath, stayed in a kind of B and B, um, which I believe Honor Blackman, the actress, uh, was was upstairs. We never actually laid eyes on her, but but we heard a rumor that she was upstairs because she was doing uh, she was playing in the theatre in Bath. Um, and we used to toddle back into to Crescent each day, and work on work on the uh, the album. There was only me and Colin at that point. We'd got a band. Uh, we put a band together, and um, that included a keyboard player called Raina Shine, real name. Who was who had been Vangelis's engineer and actually edited Chariots of Fire together from a load of random piano playing that Vangelis did one one night in his studio. Um, and she sadly passed away. Uh, I think it was last year. Uh, Raina died quite suddenly, which was a bit tragic because she came to a Trevor Horn show that I did in in Nottingham. And so I'd kind of, after loads and loads, you know, I don't know, how, how long's that been? 40 years or something uh, of being estranged. I, I met back up with Raina um, and we had a drink after the Trevor Horn show. And I've got a picture of, uh, of her with, uh, with Lal Cream backstage. And, and she sadly passed away last year, so that was pretty tragic. But we had a guy called Andrew who played the saxophone. We had um, we had a number of drummers. Um, we had an amazing Welsh bass player called Tafe, uh, whose real name is Dave Ball. Um, Tafe was a, a, a brilliantly accomplished uh, accomplished player. He'd played with John Martin and various people. Um, and I think that was the band. But but when we actually came to go to Crescent, I, I just remember it being me and Colin. But I reckon, I mean, the rest of the band must have gone down there for backing tracks, but I can't even remember that. Um, and what else happened? In the end, we, we invited a few people players in i invited busker in off the street a great big bloke canadian bloke called jim Cooser, who was playing uh, hammer dulcimer in a doorway and he came in and played some dulcimer um but he not he wasn't really used to studio life and when when he got the click track he just said what's that ticking uh, and we explained to him that it was a click track and he was supposed to be playing in time with it um, and then later on, we added at the very end, actually, it um, we put the drums on last to games in Germany. And David knew Manny Elias, who was the drummer from Tears for Fears, and he came down and, and played on games in Germany. And then, much later after that, toured with How We Live. So Manny was in the band for a while. Um, so that's kind of off the top of my head how it all came who, together. Who played drums on the rest? I didn't hear you mention a drummer. George Jackson. George Jackson Jr., I believe, was... Oh, was he sounds like he should be in a funk band. He's a really good drummer, actually. He was a really good drummer. Great feel. Yeah. Um, so George Jackson, George Jackson Jr. played drums. Uh, Tafe played bass. Um, Andrew played sax. And then there was Colin and I. That was the kind of core band. Then we brought Rainer in for the live shows. I don't think I've forgotten anybody. And was that just to allow you to be out front? 
Uh, yeah, and just, yeah, it was partly to allow me to be out front. In fact, it was, yes, it was entirely to allow me to be out front. Right. It wasn't because there's something you recorded you then couldn't play live? Uh, no, because she wouldn't. I, be I wasn't being serious. Either. That was a really flippant <laughs> question. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I've... For the most part, everything I've I've ever recorded, I, I, I've been able to play. <laughs> Not for true the, of everyone. For the but... most part. <laughs> well, just... I was think I was thinking of that solo on uh, in on on Heartland on the under the. Um, I'd probably struggle to play that. Like I'd have to practice it, right. you know, but then to be fair. I've never done it, and apart from where it was assembled for the uh, for the record, mm. um, I've never had cause to learn it. I thought I was going to join his band and do it, but then in the end, it never happened. I joined yeah. Brilliant, so I, I do knock through it every now and again just to see if I can remember it. Right, it's got Crooncast written all over it. <laughs> Not, no idea how you'd scat I, vocals on the top of it well yeah I, I might struggle bearing in mind that I'm in Denmark without a piano oh little things yeah, that, 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 I, I better start work on that now if I'm writing it in one note at a time in MIDI <laughs> well and that's a problem just just you know, putting it out there it's, it's doable you know. it's doable just take the rest of the week Actually, in a, on a serious, while we're talking about that, because I'm surprised you've not got one of these little kind of MIDI keyboards, you know, kind of things that ch- you can chuck in a rucksack just to mm. take with you, just to kind of plug into the old laptop if inspiration strikes. I should get one, really. I should get something, one of those, anything, really, just something that, that would make it easier to do crooncasts on the run. Hmm. Well, I've but got I've, I've got one on my desk, you see. So and and I've used it occasionally to put bass lines on things because I don't play keys, but um, but they're really really weeny. Who's it? Well, give give it a plug. Who whose is it? What what is it? Look how small that is. Look how small that is. Hang on, it's, it's a paperback book. Oh yeah. Who makes that then? That's Novation make those. Okay. <clears throat> so it's only it's only a couple of octaves, but you know, I could strap it on like an accordion. Oh. Now you think the thought the thought of you Stephen is strap on accordion, midi accordion. Has anyone ever yeah. done one of them? They I don't think done. anybody has. It's high time somebody did a midi accordion. Mm. I could now. I'm now seeing you on stage with an accordion <laughs> playing <laughs> guitar accordion. samples and and all manner of things. <laughs> I'm liking that. I've been in touch with Mick McNeil lately. I'm right. swapping email with him. Because um, I I met him when he when he got up in Glasgow and in London and played some uh, accordion with Trevor Horn and Mick was in Simple Minds for many years ah and uh, he's coming down to the Marillion show in 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 Gla- uh, where are we playing Glasgow I think aren't we on the September tour oh I don't know I've not looked so, at the Scotland dates I've stuck him on the list anyway right uh, and so he's a proper accordion player. Right. Another guy who plays keyboards in Simple Minds. Do you? Yeah, I used to work with him. I've forgotten his name as well. Uh, he used to be pleased to used to work for a music shop. Um and I used to know him when I was doing that. Um but yes, anyway. We digress. Yeah. So um maybe Mick could come and do a little bit at the natural show at Oxford. I could mm. see a little bit of piano and accordion duet going down. Gosh. I know, you know, I tend to shy away from dragging guest musicians in because then it just all gets out of hand, mm. um, especially with guitarists because they turn up with gear and they need monitors. And, and they're, they're hard all, work, aren't they? They're, they're just hard, hard work. work. They're just hard work. But maybe an accordion would be, you know, just rock up and play it. It probably wouldn't even need micing up in, a, in that room, you know. Um, I bet yeah, Mick, just... Mick, Mick doesn't sound like somebody who needs micing up. No, he probably doesn't. No, no. Anyway, back, back, back to the album. How did we get on to Mick? 
I don't know. We're on simple minds now, aren't we? We've we are. drifted. We know oh, we got onto MIDI keyboards. Then MIDI we got keyboards. Onto accordions. And MIDI accordions. That was that. Yeah. Who do we need to talk to about a MIDI accordion? That it really is a great idea. <laughs> I do know people at Novation. I'll ask the question. Yeah. John Price. See if it's ever been thought of. Anyway. Anyway. Mm. Back mm. to the album. So we've got we've got this group of the, of the band. Rainer joins for the live. Everybody else sorted. You're all in the studio. You think a lot of the time it's you and uh, Colin, but other people mm. must float in and out to do the... Um, it's called tracking, isn't it, where everybody gets together and plays. And Yeah, the backing track tends to be to go down as a band and then you kind of, if you're making a record, you tend to sit around stroking your beard for a few months and tweaking it and adding things to it and whatnot. Yes, um, whatnot. I do remember that space shuttle tragedy happening during the album. What, seeing that on the TV down at down at Crescent, you know the one that burst into flames. Yes, I'm trying to remember the name of it. Was that the Challenger? Could have been the Challenger. Uh, anyway, one of them, sure as hell. Um, yeah, um, I remember that happening. And I remember the Miles Club and the lovely Jan who worked on the door who used to let me in for free um, because we used to finish work at Crescent about, about you know, half past 11, quarter to 12 every night and you wanted to relax after that and, there were, of course, everything was shot, all the pubs were shot and everything, all, all of what really was to do was go back to the digs and go to bed and you didn't really want to after a day's work. But there's a little club called the Moles Club in Bath. And uh, there was a girl on the door called Jen. And um, I don't know how I knew Jen, but I'd run into her a couple of times before. Um, and she used to let me in because she knew I was only going to go in and have a, you know, have a last pint and then leave again. Um, so she used, to, she used to let me in. She used to, Colin used to come sometimes, and we'd just go and have a pint in the Miles Club, and then uh, and then toddle off to the digs. Mm. Under Honor Blackman. Yes. Toddle off in Honor's direction. Mm. Mm. Um. So to the album itself, uh, and I've I've done a bit of a Wikipedia thing, and I've got the I've got the um, the list. I should have just got it off the shelf, but it it seemed easier to do it this way. It's terrible, isn't it? First world problems. All the way to the shelf to get the CD. Um, so, Dryland, released in 1987, is uh, released on LP, cassette, and CD, um, which makes it where CDs are relatively early for a CD, wasn't it? It's still in the early era of CDs, isn't it? I mean, everybody thinks about Brothers in Arms as being the one that pretty much everybody got first, and that was 84, so still relatively early in CD life. Right. Um, Working Girl, All the Time in the World, Dryland, Games in Germany, India, The Rainbow Room, Lost at Sea, In the City, Working Town, A Beat in the Heart. Mm. Um, and then we have um, English Summer as a B-side. Is that that be right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, that, was a, that was a groovy little song. Um, we've got You Don't Need Anyone, uh, which was unreleased. Uh, Simon's Car, which was unreleased. And then, um, in addition, How We Live recorded numerous other unreleased demos, including Emotional, Feels Like Saturday, In Between the Lines, In the Middle of the Night, Sun Shines in Your Eyes, We Don't Need to Be Lovers, and This Town. Gosh. That's what Wikipedia says. Mm. I don't remember half of those. Right. Um, wow. They must have been things we were sort of sketching out you know, that never ever made it any further after we sort of burnt out and split up. There were probably um, Porter Studio demos. Do you remember Porter Studio? I do remember so Porter Studio. I had you, a Porter Studio. They had a cassette. For the cassette was the master tape, wasn't it? And yeah. The, and then you could record four things. Four things. Or you could bounce things together. You could. You could get up uh, to about seven or eight, couldn't you? Because you, you mm. bounced three onto one, didn't you? Yeah, it sounded like hell. Yeah, and then you had three to go, and you could bounce two onto three, uh, and, and, uh, which got you to five. And yeah, you, did, you could do seven, I think, um, if you mix down 
if you mix down the, the last two. Mm. Well, Colin and I tended to do our demos on Porter Studios uh, and swap sets back and two between, between ourselves. Um, so just about everything that, that is on that album started life as a Porter Studio demo. I can still remember Colin sending me what became all the time in the world. Uh, the do 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 that rolling bass line and the thing, um, and then I I also remember first getting his his dry land demo as well, and, you know, and thinking, oh, what can I do with this? This is lovely, and writing those words and that chorus. Um, so that's how we used to. That's how we used to work together. And you weren't necessarily writing in the same room then? You were both going away and tiddling about and playing with things and saying, oh, I've got this, what do you think of this? Can you do anything with that? Yeah, yeah, he would He would. Some, he would come to me with, you know, he'd, he'd have a little drum rhythm box going, tick box, tiddling away, and and then he'd, he, I think he'd got a DX7 or something that he was using for keyboards um, and and his guitar. And he used to he used to come to me with really interesting things, you know, great talent. Mm. Um, and I used to try and work out what to do next. But we that whole that whole period really became a little bit tainted by the way that the record company treated us after the Dryland album came out. And we never really had a hit. Then the re- the record company sort of folded its arms and said, "All right, write as another monster hit." And then you know, when you have, give us a call. So we would be breaking our heads frantically trying to write something. You know what? What is a monster hit? It's very hard to know. Um, you're either one of those artists who can do it or can't. Or can and doesn't know it, or can't and doesn't know it, or whatever. Um, but um, and also, who knows what a monster hit is? Mm. Not usually the record labels, to be honest. Um, there's always someone at a label who gets paid an absolute fortune because they know, but they don't know. Nobody knows anything. No, because yeah. what happens when you write a monster hit that isn't a monster hit? And 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 I'll you know I'll throw Dryland in as an example, but I could throw you know uh, no one can as an example. What happens when you write a monster hit and then it isn't a monster hit? Yeah, well I ought to know. <laughs> <laughs> Not much. Not <laughs> <is> much. The <laughs> answer. <laughs> You're no closer to your old man's folly, are you? At that point, Ma- massive disappointment and yeah. <laughs> the desire to jump off a roof. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wishing you'd not bought a bungalow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. John mm. Arneson once jumped out of the window, committed suicide. Uh, we had a manager called John, and and he famously jumped out of the jumped out of the upstairs window to commit suicide when his marriage was going going really horribly wrong. And he just he just landed in a sort of muddy rosebush and had to knock on the door and be let back in. <laughs> <laughs> Now, if he was really classy, he'd have gone round to have another go. <laughs> Let me in. I'm going to have another crack at this. I think he was locked out. Death yeah, is not going to defeat me. He had to be let back in by an angry wife. <laughs> Poor thing. <laughs> Did humour not take over at that point and she forgive him a little bit? <laughs> you never met her, did you? No, I didn't. Uh, I did. Right. <laughs> Should we should we head off for a bit of diary? I appreciate we haven't got anywhere yet on the questions. <laughs> but we have got a lot of context and we did say this would probably end up being a couple of episodes. So we should we go back? Actually, before we go, one quick question, obviously, because I did just raise an eyebrow when I said this town as being part of the um the demos. I thought that was called this time at that point. Right. This time. Um how reminiscent was it? Was it the same melody? Was it? You... 
I mean, those two were the that might have been the same, but that was it. Right. Um, that's that's your lot, really. Because right. Rothers um, came up with a riff. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and I just happened to throw that on and um, wrote, you know, what was a completely different different lyric and melody yeah. beyond that. Um, I think Colin still feels I sort of nicked it. Um, we had a, we, you know, that's been a bit of a long-running saw, whether or not I stole that. But, you know, there comes a point where you go, well, if you... If, can you steal from yourself? <laughs> you know. Well, I mean, a schizophrenic would tell you probably I, yes, quite I effectively. Mean, I, I stole from myself for uh, the verse of Cover My Eyes, you know, which yeah. had been the verse for Simon's Car, but Simon's Car was never going to see the light of day. When these things are dead and buried, but they're good and no one's ever going to hear them, you know, uh, you can be forgiven for thinking, well, I want to use that. I want that to be heard out in the world, you know, and if if, if that means work, reworking it with another band, it, it's a shame to just leave it buried in the ground, you know. Maybe someone will dig it up one day and... Five people will get to hear it, and someone will upload it to YouTube or something. But it's better if it's done right. Hmm. Jim Steinman did it. Jim Steinman put something on. He did one album, I think, under his own his own steam, and he did something that's got the piano part to holding out for a hero. Right. That he then later obviously reused, and when he wrote "Holding Out for a Hero" for Bonnie Tyler. Hmm. So, you know, Jim Steinman can do it. <laughs> well, there we are. There we it, are. You can debate forever about that. Let's, let's, we'll tell you what, let's move from Jim Steinman to Gimp's outfits, shall we? Mm, yeah. <laughs> Literally seamless. <laughs> and by the way, I hope it was because it would have chafed a little if it wasn't. You know, to this day, I. Don't know what was going on in that room, but I know what was going on in that room because, <laughs> uh, if you know what I mean. And so I never saw it. I didn't particularly want to see it. No. <laughs> but I think whatever I could imagine was kind of basically what was happening because uh, I, I was in the adjoining room and there was some serious serious stuff going on and there was a lot of whooping and hollering and you know the sound of bodies slamming against the wall <laughs> and uh that fleshy slap yeah and the um what do they call it the creaking of mattresses as well you know the, the front that 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 noise a mattress makes that, that only really frantic shagging can produce <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you mean the, the frantic shagging noise? <laughs> that noise. That's the one. Uh, that noise was going on and there was and I was trying to work out how many people were in there. There was at least three people. I I, I, I gradually surmised that two people were doing it and one was watching and encouraging. He was probably paying for it, you know, it was probably a show that was being put on for his benefit. Uh and it was it was disturbing if you weren't really, if that's not where really where you're coming from as a person, then you don't really want to be witnessing that through the wall. It was, uh, I had to move rooms. Just thought, God almighty, what's going on here? And that was in San Diego, wasn't it? <laughs> well, it was race week. That, that, that tended to explain a lot. I mean, we had a race course in Doncaster. Well, there still is a race course in Doncaster. And race week, you know, there would be an influx of people that you wouldn't see in Doncaster the rest of the year. And uh, it would always get a bit lively. And um, the hotel we were staying in in San Diego was in a place called Del Mar, which is just outside San Diego and has a racetrack. 
and it was race week and the races were on. In fact, I went to the races. Uh, it's all, I think it's probably all in there. I went to the races that day. I actually had quite a, quite a cool day, except for the fact that I'd got the old gimp scene from Pulp Fiction going on in the next room, which uh, once, once I'd moved rooms, <laughs> uh, what a day. If you think if you'd not seen Pulp Fiction, it, it would have conjured up a different set of images. Because that's I think a very it, yeah. specific scene, isn't it, in Pulp Fiction? It is. It is a very specific scene. And um, having seen that, that's kind of what I was listening to. Um, whether I'd have fully, I think I'd have still cottoned on, to be honest. There was not a lot of room for doubt. Right, right. Because obviously the, I was thinking more that Bavarian sort of dancing thing they do where they slap each other about on the thighs and what have you. You know, it could have been slightly excited session of Bavarian folk dancing. Mm. Yeah, it doesn't explain the noise of the mattress. No, all right, I get that. I, I, I've, I've covered the thighs, but I've not covered the mattress, haven't I? <laughs> and, the, and the slapping of bare flesh against the wall. Occasionally, accompanied by the whooping and hollering, and yeah, go on, not, yeah, do it, do it, do it, yeah, go on, all of that. I'm not going to change your mind on this, am I? No, no. I was that soldier. Right. Okay. Fine. Let's in the next room. I hasten to add in the in the in the next room. Let's let's have it then in all its glory. Mm. An interesting day, having come hot off the heels of meeting Clark Gable's. Ex-girlfriend. <laughs> Quite a change of channel. Sunday, 4th of September. San Diego, Del Mar races and moving rooms. Thought I did rather well. Slept till five, then catnapped through to nine. Got up, showered up, and went down to the restaurant for breakfast. It was a buffet thing. Had to wait for a table for five or ten minutes, so returned to my room for extra clothes. I was finding the AC a little chilly. After the buffet breakfast, I decided to take the shuttle bus down to the beach and take a few photographs. The Hilton is next to the horse racetrack at Del Mar, and the shuttle bus went there first to drop off a few race-goers. During the journey, a woman called Michelle announced that she owned a private box in the grandstand. If you go racing, just find box 9E by the finish line and speak to George. Tell him Michelle says it's okay. Things have a habit of developing at speed in America. It was worth knowing, although I didn't know if I wanted to go racing really. I was dropped at the beach chanting George Michelle 9E, George Michelle 9E to myself in case I needed the facts later. Mooched around and discovered a cafe called The Poseidon on the beach where I spent the next couple of hours sipping lemon tea and later had the best Bloody Mary I've ever tasted. There seemed to be some problem getting hold of the shuttle bus to return so I decided to walk it immediately got hopelessly lost and ended up flagging down cars to ask for directions. Everyone pointed me in different directions until I asked a couple in an old car with a baby in the back. Hop in, they said. We'll drop you near the race course. I jumped in the back and the baby grinned away at me whilst chatting in unfeasibly good English. He was trying to tell me about a mouse getting in the cat food. He told me over and over again. He was very impressed by it. So would I have been, especially when I was two years old. That's one seriously ballsy mouse. They dropped me at the race course at Del Mar and I made my way in, asking everyone about Box 9E, George and Michelle. No one had heard of any of it, of course, but eventually I gained access and after much general inquiry, I found myself sitting in the grandstand with a perfect view of the finish line. I took several photographs of the horses and jockeys. To be honest, though, the punters were more interesting. 
One guy in a Stetson cowboy hat caught my eye. He looked around 55 and was sporting a bushy, droopy moustache and a pair of round reading glasses balanced on the end of his nose, looking for all the world like Doc Holliday. In England, he'd have stopped traffic, but here it's considered absolutely normal. He sat next to a brassy blonde, 55, done up 25, and adjacent to another guy, the other traditional American stereotype, Hawaiian shirt, reversed baseball cap, moon-faced and overweight. Bizarre to see the old-timers side by side with the junk food generation. I watched a few more races and noticed that a jockey called something like Carlos Venezuela, but not quite, seemed to be riding in all the races and winning most of them. My gran used to love the horses and she taught me to bet on the jockeys, not the horse they were on. She used to know who the best trainers were too. Despite all this deep-seated nostalgia, I decided against having a flutter. I hadn't so far picked any of the winners anyway, so I couldn't see the point in upping the disappointment by losing money too. I wandered around the grandstand and into Bing's Café. Lovely old black and white pictures on the wall of Crosby and Edward G. Robinson, Jack Dempsey and even a shot of J. Edgar Hoover hanging out at the course. Eventually decided I'd had enough of the races and walked back to the hotel. Even though the hotel was next to the race course, I felt like a rebel by actually walking. It's nuts here. If people want to go next door, they take a Hummer or a Porsche Carrera. Then they go to a gym and work out because they believe exercise is very important. Gotta have those abs and a tight butt. It's 25 degrees on the street, but they freeze the air in this hotel so much that we all need to wear a jacket to feel comfortable. It's as if the entire nation is trying to find ways of spending a fortune on stuff that could be totally free. The only possible justification for going anywhere in a Hummer is to make people notice you, and yet the windows are invariably tinted. When I got back, I had hit a bit of a jet-lagged slump, so I lay on the bed and tuned the TV to National Geographic. I drifted in and out of consciousness during a programme about people being abducted by aliens. It was somewhat surreal to keep coming round to the eyewitness accounts. There were four of them, very thin, with huge eyes and almost no mouth, dry, powdery skin. They took me from my bed to a flying saucer where they began interfering between my legs. The programme seemed to be on some kind of half-hour rotation and every time I woke up it was repeating the same thing. The sense of the surreal was eclipsed and compounded when chaotic sounds began emanating from the adjoining room to mine. Someone was reenacting the gimp scene from Pulp Fiction. I guess there were at least three people in the room. One was shouting obscenities associated with some kind of hardcore sex ritual whilst I heard the sound of bodies literally bouncing off the wall. I didn't know this stuff happened in real life. Or maybe I did, but I never thought I'd get this close to it. It was really horrible and very disturbing. I leapt from the bed to check that the connecting door from my room to theirs was securely locked on my side and then called reception and they said they'd send security to talk to them. Good luck. I asked to move rooms. There was no way I was going to sleep tonight next to that lot. I packed and one of the porters came round to help me move. As we walked down the corridor, I told him what I'd heard. He said he'd go and check it out. He was bloody welcome to. Well, this episode had certainly woken me up. I called tour manager Rich to let him know I'd moved rooms and to tell him why. He sounded suitably amused. He was down at the Belly Up Club where we'll play on Wednesday with the crew. Roderick said he'd drive back and pick me up, so I freshened up and went down there with him. The gig is in the Cedras area of Solana Beach. It seemed posh and arty as we drove along the street. Roderick took a picture of me outside the gig. Well, at least they'd spelled our name right. It's been known. Inside, it's a groovy little club. Lots of wood and paintings of rock and roll iconography. The staff seemed friendly. 
I ordered a Corona and chatted to Rich, Carl and Roderick while we waited for tonight's band, The Knitters, to come on stage. They were good if you like indie country and western. Not really to my taste, but they were good at it. Especially the guitar player, Dave Abrahams, who was brilliant. The singer could have been produced on a computer by starting with Al Pacino and morphing to Harrison Ford. Somewhere along the way, you'd have got him. The other singer was his wife, I think, who reminded me of Kirsty McCall to look at. They seemed to have lots of good songs, all good-natured, down-home, country rockabilly stuff. The most memorable line of the evening was, Put another critter on the road! A homage to the joy of roadkill. We left halfway through as Roderick was crashing out and nobody was too fussed about staying. I returned to my new, quiet room in another wing of the hotel, far enough away from the monster menage a trois, and fell immediately into sleep. Woke up to the sound of the TV. Men who experience a continuous erection for more than four hours should seek immediate medical attention. So should their girlfriends. God bless America. And we're back. Yeah. Um, and that was <laughs> that was the second part of San Diego. Um, a day at the races. A day at the races. And we decided it's a relatively short piece, but we decided just to go with that one piece because the next bit doesn't join up. We go, we 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 disappear off somewhere else next. So okay. Um, so we've just we just made the decision off air um, to to just go with with that one. And we, to be honest, we talked about it quite a bit beforehand. Was there anything any any extra bit of colour about the rest of the day you'd like to add? Well, I went to the races. I can't, you know, I haven't read the diary yet, so I, I, ah. I may be repeating myself a bit. Well, well, well I, can, I can tell you that you met somebody who um, basically said, I've got a box at the races, just go and speak to George or whoever it was. Yeah, uh, there was a lady in the, uh, there was a courtesy bus to the race, uh, in fact, no, down to the down to the beach at Del Mar, and I thought, oh, that'd be nice. I'll, I'll go down the beach and have have a you know a bit of lunch, if I can find a restaurant or or, or whatever. And so uh, I went to the uh, reception. They said, oh, there's a courtesy bus we run. I think it was a Holiday Inn or something. Um, so I jumped on the courtesy bus, went down to the beach, and there was a lady on the bus who just happened to say to me at some point, I think she, she you know, you know what Americans are like, they, they're, um, they're noisy and gregarious, and she was rah, 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 rah away, and she said, oh, if anybody on the bus would like go to the races, yeah, I got a box. And I went, oh, hang on, yeah, I'll keep it. Yep, hello, my name's Steve, I'm from England. <laughs> Very pleased to meet you. Did you say you were going to... She went, yeah, sure, just just ask for George. I went, okay, I'll ask for George. So I went down to the race course at Del Mar later on in the day and I eventually found George and uh, he showed me to this, this private box with a really good view of the finish line and I watched the horses racing. And they don't race on grass like they do in England. They race on a sort of hard, dusty surface. You know, they race on, um, what would you call it? Clay, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, I was going to say it's going to be a bit like clay, isn't it? A bit like, yeah, a bit like a clay tennis court. They race on clay and it was fun. And I, I did I have a flutter? I can't remember if I had a flutter or not. Maybe I didn't in the end. I don't um, think you did. Well, I wouldn't have won if I had. But um, it was quite good fun, and the there was a there was a restaurant, which I think again I've probably said in the diary with with pictures of you know very various famous folk from way back when at the at the races J Edgar Hoover and Charlie Chaplin and you know all of these characters ex presidents who'd all been to the races at Del Mar at various times and there was pictures of them on the wall. And I had a nice sort of time. And then and then when I came back, 
it was a long... I didn't know how to get back to the hotel and I hitched a ride with this really interesting family who stopped and picked me up. So then I, the next thing, I'm sat in the back of this car with a, with a, with a toddler and these, this, this couple who were really nice and had picked me up, to, to, you know, and, and I, I told them where I was staying and they said, ah, oh, we'll take you back there. And I'm sitting in the back and this toddler was rapping away about this, uh, this mouse, this, something about a mouse and a cat, I can't remember. It's in the diary. But I do remember that. And then, of course, I got back to the to the old all the all the mad sexual action banging on the banging on the wall, and I was jet lagged, which made it all much more surreal because I kept drifting. I was so tired, I just kept drifting out of consciousness and then drifting back in. Back in very suddenly, <laughs> With all this chaos going on, and the TV was on advertising Viagra. And 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 advertising, it was some show about people who'd been abducted by aliens. And then they began fiddling between my legs and all of that, you know. They took me up into a large craft and then they began fiddling between my legs. Uh, I remember that. So I was drifting in and out of consciousness with that that going on on the TV and the banging and the crashing next door. I just thought, what a country. What a madhouse. Mm. But it was race week. I, I, which is the title of the episode, by the way. We, um, <laughs> I don't know if it hit, because I haven't listened to 120 yet, but when, obviously, we were chatting to Rothers and we said, oh, the, the diary entry is San Diego, and he, straight away, his face sort of went, <laughs> oh, oh, that hotel. <laughs> so clearly it became a little bit legendary with everybody else. Well, that shit doesn't happen every day. Not on our tours, anyway. See, you keep saying this, and then the car <laughs> drives past with the topless lady in it. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. Not very often, though, is it? We've come not quite very, a not every day. Once every couple of years, isn't it? <laughs> Once every couple of years. Um, we'll call it a day there for one for 121. Um, we're going to come back to this. Well, let's, hell... We're going to try and start this topic again for 122 because <laughs> we haven't actually got very... Sorry, Dan. Uh, we will get to your questions. Um, but you've set us on down a path. Uh, and when you do that, there's no guarantee how long it'll take us to, to meander our way down it and what stops mm. we, might, we might make on the way. Um, and let's face it, Dan, you wanted to know about Mick the Accordion, didn't you? So, <laughs> so there we have it. Um, so we'll get together and we'll we'll do that, um, and I'll leave you to the rest of your holiday. Oh, lovely! Well, that would be fantastic. I was praying you'd leave at some point. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, much as I love you, you know, just, yeah. it would be nice to just yeah. be on holiday. It's not you can't do it. Though. You're not you're not allowed when you're a, when you're one of the nation's beloved podcasters. Yeah. There's Na- no national treasure. No, <laughs> you're like a long haired Alan Bennett, aren't you? Yes, well, who who can say what I'll become? <laughs> who can say what it means? <laughs> who can say? Yeah. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and uh, I'll go and dip my toe in the uh, in the pool. No, I won't. I haven't got one, but I will run a bowl of water. I used to go out with Clark Gable. The Delmar racers sing this song, do-da, do-da. The Delmar race track five miles long, do-da, do-da day. Gonna run all night, gonna run all day. I'm sitting here in box 90, Michelle said it's all okay. Dominic Keating came along, do-da, do-da. Thanks Tom Hadley, thank you Tom, do-da, do-da day. Thank you everyone for listening to this song Sponsoring me and TCD I told you not to call it TCD Someone's shagging in the room next door Do-da, do-da Never heard anything like it before Do-da, do-da day Gonna 
scream all night, so I'll be on my way. Mouse and the cat food, oh my lord, put another critter on the road. Here in the USA. Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production. <laughs>